Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Welcome to the Women in Tech Weekly Remix episode. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Hey, I'm Gloria Chow, based in New York, PR mentor for early stage entrepreneurs and female founders, helping them spread their message on a bigger platform so they can impact millions. You know, because I've never worked at a PR agency, my process is completely untouched by what that means. So I'm really able to create and innovate in a way that I see based on feedback from my community, right? So basically, you know, the PR model is you work on a retainer basis like any other consultant, but COVID hit and I lost 50 grand worth of projects because let's face it, it's not, you know, cancer surgery. I'm not saving the world through what I, you know, donating organs. So I know that PR is not something that people in COVID is like, let's sign a monthly retainer. So then I thought, how can I still help founders when they are still needing to pivot their messaging outside of the model of what PR usually is? How can I productize something that is so not productizable, right? And so what I did is I figured out that basically you need three things to pitch. Well, you need two things to pitch. A, you need your media list. The first step is who are you going to pitch to? Who are the people who are covering your industry, right? The media gatekeepers. Without that information, you're spending days, if not months, like literally on Google searching. And that's just not feasible. Number two is you need to know your pitch. Now, a lot of founders think that their product pitch is a pitch that they're going to use for the press. And unfortunately, journalists are not you know, vehicles for you to spread your ad. They're humans. They care about a story that's relevant. So how can you turn your product pitch into something that a journalist would want? Right. And so that's what I'm really good at. So basically stuffed everything into this one bite-sized package. It has your media list. It's got two angles that I flush out with you. I run a trends report of all the keywords that are in media. So you know exactly what words are highlighted and it's got curated proprietary strategies. Usually, you know, a PR agency would probably have three months of work with you before they give you this and it's under $500. So it's kind of more like you're fishing and I'm teaching you how to fish. I'm giving you the rod right? And I'm, I'm supporting you so that you can do it yourself, but then like have expert guidance as well. 
I love it. I love it. And I think it helps so many of us. So what are some of the common mistakes? You've talked about this already a little bit. What are some of the common mistakes people make when trying to do a press outreach campaign? I know earlier on a call offline, we talked about how great it is to set up Google Alerts to see what journalists are writing about that. So let's assume we have a Google Alert set up for our category and our topic or our product. And now we see what journalist has written about it. And let's say we found that journalist's email. What's a mistake we make when we do the outreach? Well, first of all, if, if you are already in the place where you're taking those proactive steps, you already solved 50% of the problem because so often the founders who are doing incredible things, the number one limiting belief is, oh, we're too early stage or, oh, we're not quite ready yet. And then the example of the master sommelier being sidelined by some, you know, young dude happens because you think you're not ready. So if you're actually like in a place where you're like, let's do this, I, I applaud you because that is the number one thing that stops founders from achieving their greater potential. Now, if you are ready to pitch, you have a media list, you're sending it out, you know, I have a whole, and I can give you this, I have like a downloadable sheet, which is like my quick tips on how to pitch, when to pitch, how long should it be, do's and don'ts. But you basically want to use, well, for me, you know, I, I, I made the CPR method from thousands of pitches that I did. Again, I didn't have agency contacts. I literally cold called. So if I can do it, you can too. And I found that whenever my pitches get replied to, they usually had three elements. Are you ready for this? This is my CPR method. I love it. <laughs> so C stands for credibility. You need to be able to vet yourself in one sentence why they shouldn't keep reading, why you're an authority on this topic. It doesn't mean that you need to be published, but it could just be literally like I am a thought leader and one of the few female like commercial truck drivers like, you know, revolutionizing this industry, right? Boom, that's your C. Now the P stands for point of view. It means that you've done research and you can basically point to a bigger trend that's happening in society. Because again, the journalist is trying to, they want relevance. They don't want product, you know, ROI. So what is the, what is the point of view that you're saying? So for example, I worked with another female founder who was doing a video interview app to get people hired during COVID because virtual interviews are the only way people are hiring. We fleshed out the pitch for her. The point of view was that because of COVID, Fortune is favoring the young and people with access to technology. So it's actually, you know, creating an uneven playing field. So that was her like point of view component. And then CPR. So the R stands for relevance. Like why should the editor publish this now and not five years from now? Right. And so obviously, you know, the COVID job hiring being all online, like that was her relevance. It could be uh, like if you are doing a financial, like a fintech, it could be a piece of tax law that's changing, right? Anything that's seasonal, it could be Black Friday hiring. If you're in retail tech, anything that's seasonal, anything that's timely, anything that has to do with changing laws, that's always going to make an editor actually look through your email and be tempted to call you back for that interview. Hi, I'm Jesse Janae, the CEO and founder of Lumi. Lumi helps modern brands find and source all of their custom packaging. We're located in Los Angeles, California. I definitely would like to jump off that, you know, to just say that I had zero experience with this. I had zero experience fundraising. My mom was a school teacher. My dad was a local lawyer, you know, who did like real estate stuff. Like, like there was no background to like, and I think that is important to note because I think you hear about so many founders where you learn about them and it's like, I don't know, their dad's a venture capitalist or something that makes you feel like they just had some upside. So there was nothing like that. I went to design school and then dropped out. That's the foundation. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and so, 
from there, you know, I did uh, going to Y Combinator actually was a conscious decision of trying to immerse myself in this thinking, like in this ecosystem and learning. Um, so I did learn quite a few things there. My process though, for raising for like the seed round, for instance, was really a process of you know, begging and borrowing for every different meeting and introduction I can from anyone I knew, which was just so few people like at the time when I think back, like I, I, so I'm not trying to be rude, uh, even to my few, like past self, but I just didn't really know anyone in tech and I didn't really know who to even call, but I would call people who even worked at companies that had raised money and ask them what they remembered from their team meetings, like just anything. Right. And then I started getting some introductions um, to to different VCs. Um, I learned a fun thing that I still use to this day, which is one of the highest leverage introductions that you can get to a VC, a venture capitalist, is from someone already in their portfolio. So if you reach out to someone they've already invested into and you build a little bit of relationship with that person, and then that person introduces you, that's a very high leverage introduction compared to reaching out to them cold. But you have to genuinely get to know that person. You can't just email them randomly and ask like, hey, can you connect? me. I just started learning how that stuff works and it led us to finding Homebrew. Homebrew is a fund that led our seed round. I mean, I, I feel like I made a ton of mistakes in my initial negotiations and just kind of being weird. I was like too protective over certain pieces of information and um, too slow to respond to certain things. Like I just, when I look back, I'm like, oh geez, like, wow, I, <laughs> I can't believe I got, you know, a deal done. But I think it really does speak to the fact that there's a lot of forgiveness to the process. Uh, you just have to, you just have to not stop trying like until, until you get the goal achieved. I love it. I absolutely love it. And let's talk about accelerators for a moment because we don't talk about it enough on the show. Yeah. Was going through an accelerator worth it? My answer is yes. I really enjoyed going through Y Combinator and I still feel like I had a really rational outlook on what it is and what it isn't. So I think when people, and I believe this about basically every form of fundraising, whenever I hear someone having kind of like a nightmare story about something, it's usually like maybe they had a particularly bad experience, which just can happen, right? But also, I feel like people have a misaligned set of expectations. YC is not a miracle that happens to your business. In fact, if you look at the stats, the vast majority of people who go through YC, their companies fold, like companies do not make it. There is no magic fairy dust that gets sprinkled on your company by going through YC. But YC as in, as Y in, Combinator. Um, y Combinator. Yeah, yeah, sorry. They just, that's like our shorthand. No, totally. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but there's no fairy dust to it. So you have to go in rationally. The things that you get out of it, for me personally, I felt like I was coming from going to design school, coming from running a bootstrapped company, no real connections and kind of in-depth knowledge of how Silicon Valley operates and how VC operates. And so I decided like going up there, meaning up to Silicon Valley from LA for three months is like a really short way, like a really condensed way of giving myself that information. I feel like that's accurate. And, and I think that probably goes for a lot of accelerators, not just that one, um, but it is about condensing the time. There is no miracle dust that sprinkles on your company. Your idea can still be bad. Your company can still be bad. Your co-founder can still not work out. Like it, it, it's no, it's no guarantee. This is Autumn Rainier. I am the founder and CEO of Skill Crush, the online education company with a heart, coming to you from Queens, New York. 
I think the latest count is somewhere in the like 18,000 students that have taken courses with Skill Crush. Crazy. Congratulations. Um, yes, totally awesome. And in terms of success, I mean, you know, the beauty of what we do is that it's like a very wide, like we don't have a one size fits all model in terms of what we push students into, which I think, which has its pluses and minuses for sure. And it, what's challenging about it is it makes it hard to answer these types of questions in like a pat way because for us, it's very important that like the price point is accessible, that like we don't require people to have college degrees like some online coding camps do in order to do it. We don't require that people are in a specific geographic location, right? So people are all over the world. They come from all kinds of educational backgrounds. They have all kinds of different interests in terms of what they're going after. But I mean, yeah. And so within that realm, like we have just, it's really, really diverse, right? Like we have a lot of students who've gone on to full-time work at startups, at a lot of advertising agencies, digital agencies, that kind of thing. We have a lot of people who've built up their own freelance businesses. We have people who've gone into like teaching coding. I mean, it really runs the gamut. That's awesome. How did you attract your initial students? This is funny. I haven't told this story in a really long time. So before, right before I started Skillcrush, we had actually tried to start a different business that was like more of a SaaS B2B business and it had like totally fallen on its face. And it was because like, we just, we didn't do any of the stuff that in retrospect we should have done around like market validation and that kind of stuff. And so when we were starting Scale Crash, I was like, I'm not going to make those same mistakes again. So I read Lean Startup and also read Running Lean, which has a lot of really good tactics around how to validate ideas really early. And one of the examples that they gave was basically creating a situation in which you feel like people or where you can kind of like force people to purchase your product, even if it's not for money, but like with something that's like valuable to them. And so a really good example of this is with an email address. Because that's like a piece of currency in the whole digital online world. And basically the premise is like, if you can't get people to give you their email address, then like, good luck to you. Um, So we were going to South by Southwest and we were like, okay, if we can't get people at South by Southwest to give us their email address for like a a product about like learning more about technical things, then like there's no hope. And for those of you who don't know, South by Southwest is a huge annual conference that all the tech influencers go to in Austin. Yeah. So basically our plan was to take our iPads and go and like individually pitch people like face to face and see if they would give us their email. Like we'd make a purchase with us with their email address. Nice. Very gorilla. I know. It's so funny. I'm like, good for us. Yeah. So we, and we had this like astronomical number, really. We want a thousand email addresses. We basically just set out with our iPads and just started pitching people. And and we went up to women because that was our target demographic. This was actually a good early signal too. We got like, I mean, our hit rate was like, like 80 or 90%. Like everyone gave us their email address. Of course, that only amounted to like 250 people or something. Cause it turns out it takes a lot of time to do this. Oh, totally. But that's <laughs> a lot our of thousand, people. No, it was totally. But it was like our thousand leads goal was like completely re- unrealistic. So that was like the first little group. And then through that process, we ended up, meeting somebody, I think we like must have pitched her or something. I don't remember exactly how it happened. But anyways, she turned out to write for Mother Jones magazine. And so she wrote about us in an article she was writing about women in tech and linked to our website. And this is like, we had like nothing. Like we had like a landing That's page so at that cool. point. Yeah. So that like gave us another 600 people. And then we started, we basically were like, okay, we got to do something with these email addresses. So we started sending them an email newsletter. 
And that was just an opportunity for us to like practice the voice because the voice is so important to the brand because we're talking about technical topics in like a fun and interesting way. So that just gave us like license to like enforce was a forcing mechanism for us to practice that. And that slowly built up. And so I think by the time we actually kind of like launched our free product, which I mentioned earlier, we had gotten up to like 5,000 leads, which it's funny at this, like now looking back on it, I'm like 5,000 is phenomenal. And like, I should have been so happy. At the time, it was right after Code Academy had launched, and they had had this like code year thing go viral, and get they got like two hundred fifty thousand leads. So I was like, oh, "My five thousand is so puny." I was like so unhappy about it. But, it, so but I was like, five thousand was like way more. It's a lot more than you need, actually, as it turns out. Completely. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Community spotlight coordination by Sarah Tran. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.